Okay, let's pray and then let's start. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts. Bring us together now and may we move through this material in a satisfactory pace. But Father, may we cover the material as well. In your precious name we pray, amen. In Revelation 13, 1 through 3, I want you to notice what it says. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads. On his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a what? Talk to me so we can get out of here in half an hour. Thank you. Leopard. His feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth was the mouth of a... Have we seen these three beasts before? Where did we see them? Daniel chapter 7, last night. Now, I want you to notice how many many heads were there in Daniel chapter 7. Heads. How many heads were there in Daniel chapter 7? There was a lion. How many was that? One. There was a bear. How many was that? One. Two. Two. There was a leopard. How many was that? Now we're up to six. How many heads did the leopard have? Four. Four. So how many heads are we up to now? And then comes the dreadful and terrible beast. How many heads we got now? Seven. This is... Did I do the math wrong? <laughs> Lion, bear, leopard. That's right, seven. You about confused me. We have seven heads in Daniel chapter seven. Is that correct? How many heads were on this beast? Read it. Seven heads. How many horns did you have in Daniel chapter seven? Ten. How many horns does this beast have? Ooh, this is a conglomerate of Daniel chapter 7. Can you see that? It says he had the body of a... No, the mouth of a lion. He had the body of a... The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear. And his mouth was like a... And the dragon gave him his power. Who's the dragon in, in Revelation? Satan, Revelation 12, 9, tells us that. You can read it later. We're out of time. It says, The dragon gave him his power and his throne and his great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. This is key. He sees this beast, and it was what? Slain. And then it was what? Healed. Now, this word slain is the same one found in Revelation chapter 5. We're not going to go there in the handout. But in Revelation chapter 5, it talks about the lamb that was what? Slain. And when Jesus was slain, did he come back to life? Ooh, interesting. This is a beast that is a conglomerate of all the beasts of Daniel chapter 7. What did we find out those beasts represent? Talk to me. Kingdoms. Now, in Daniel, in Revelation 13, we find that here's one kingdom that is a conglomerate of all those kingdoms. It has all the characteristics of the kingdoms we saw in Daniel chapter 7. Are you with me so far? But he has one more characteristic. He was what? Slain, and yet he was, came back to life. Does this sound familiar? Who else had that experience? So this is someone, this is a, this is a kingdom on earth that impersonates who? Christ. 
Notice in Revelation 13, 3, the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. They worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast, who is able to wage war with him. There was given to him a mouth speaking. What does it say? Circle that. Have you ever circled that before? Arrogant words. Last night we circled it. What were they? Boastful words. And where did we circle that in? Daniel 7. Isn't that interesting? The ties here between Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. And blasphemies and authority. This beast was given authority to act for how long? 42 months. How many days is 42 months? 1,260. You remember that from last night? And in prophecy, a day equals a year. What did, where have we seen this before, this time period? Daniel chapter 7. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, which is significant of his character. You remember from last night? This is just review of his name. And it says in his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. It was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe of people, tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that had been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in the faith of the saints. Which power did we discover in Daniel chapter 7 who would rule the world for 1,260 years, wherever you place those, and it would do blasphemous things to the character of God and people's perception. It would speak monstrous things against God. It would impersonate Jesus himself. Who did we find out that kingdom was? Who was ruling the world at that time? The Buddhists? The Hindus? The Muslims? It was the... It was the church. It was the Christians. Those who called themselves Christians. Now don't get me wrong. Did God have people that stayed faithful during this time? But did the church go through a time of apostasy, of falling away, where we said where more blood was shed in the name of Jesus Christ than any other kingdom that's ever been birthed on planet Earth? Did we go through that in our history as Christians? Yes. With that in context, I want you to notice what happens. He sees that this beast is what? Slain. But then he becomes what? Oh. Did we see that that beast was slain last night? At the end of those 42 months or 1,260 years, do you remember what year we saw it taking place in? 1798. Was there a deathly blow struck to the church in that, in that, in that year? But notice, Revelation 13 says that this wound will be what? Which means what? At some point in the future. I know it seems hard to believe that this could ever happen in our day. But at some point in the future. Because the church loses its understanding of love and the gospel. It loses its power. And it will once again. Strive to gain political control. Not so that it can change hearts but so that it can legislate behavior. I know that seems hard to believe that Christians would ever 
strive for political influence and control. But was there ever a time when the church and state were united? And we called it what? The Dark Ages. The Bible prophesies that that came to an end, but it would also what? It'll happen again. And when it does, what does the Bible say will transpire? Will, so far, will history be repeated? I share this with you because today as you look at the political climate that we are living in, do we see characteristics that are similar to this? Do Christians want to gain control of the state again? Now, is it wrong to vote your conscience? No. But is it wrong to want to unite the state with the church so that the state enforces religious dogma? Is that wrong? Yes. Is that what the church did in the Middle Ages? And it was neither good for the state nor good for the church. Are you hearing me tonight? Notice in Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast. This is a second one. Can I erase this? You got this? Can I erase this? This isn't television, folks. Speak up. Don't just watch. Get involved. (laughs) I love you. Thanks. Then I saw another beast. It's the second one coming up out of the earth. He had two horns. Oh, look at this description. He has two horns like a what? So who does he look like? Who's the lamb? Oh, he looks like who? Oh, but he speaks. He spoke as a what? And who's the dragon according to Revelation? Oh, on the outside, it looks like they're all for who? Jesus. But in their methods, in their principles, in their pictures of God... Who do they represent more? Although in name they are Christian, who do they represent more? The methods and manners of who? The way he would do things. And notice carefully, it says he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his what? The church is going to regain control of the state again. Are you with me? And this kingdom is going to be in the presence of that at that time. And it says he will make the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. What kind of a power is this? What kind of a kingdom is this? If he can make everyone on the earth do what he says should be done. What kind of a kingdom would we call that today? That's a superpower. Is it not? Follow with me. He'll cause the whole earth to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He will perform signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Has that ever been done before? Where was that done before in the Bible? Mount Moriah. Do you remember when Elijah called down fire from heaven? And remember what the contest was? If Jehovah be God, let's worship him. And if Baal be God, worship him. And all the prophets of Baal were dancing around and cutting themselves and having a hoopla of a day. And at the end of the day, I love Elijah's sarcasm here. He looks over and says, yo, dudes, was he sleeping? Was he on vacation? Is he just not listening? He says, bring some water. And he saturates with water the sacrifice. 
And at the time of the evening sacrifice in the Hebrew worship service, he gets down on his knees and he prays to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what happens? Fire comes down from heaven and everyone saw, whoa, Jehovah is God. And all the prophets of Baal were slain. But hear me. This is saying in the end of time, the same scenario, maybe not literally, but in principle. What is it saying? The same type of signs and wonders will be given, but this time when the fire comes down as proof of who's the right one to follow, notice what it's saying. Is that correct? Can you trust your senses this time? Can you trust the signs this time? Fire will come down from heaven. In the presence of men, he'll deceive those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come back to life. Underline that with me. Let's go back. It says, telling, start with there, underline with me, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an what? Circle that, an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. An image. What does an image look like? It's an exact what? Replica. It looks just like it. Now this is an image of who? The first beast. When had the first beast reigned before? The dark ages. What did the government look like at that point? Who was calling the shots? The church. Will the church be resurrected again into political status? Will it be? And at that time, there will be another power, the Bible says, who looks Christian but follows the methods of Satan. It'll look, it'll be a Christian world superpower. Are you hearing me? And it will cry out to the people. That's interesting. That they would make a government that exactly replicates the type of government that existed in the dark ages. I am not making any outlandish claims. The Bible doesn't tell us who this is. Are you hearing me? But I want us to point out one thing. Why does it call to the people to make this image? Why doesn't it just do it? First of all, what we can discern is that before he can do it, whose permission must he get? What does that sound like? Ooh, this is a world power, a world superpower who claims to be who? That is initially a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Did we, did we see in prophecy Babylon, Greece? Did we see that? Media Persia. Did we see that? Did we see Rome? Did we see the divisions of Europe? Did we see the Dark Ages? And that's where we ended, correct? But when the Dark Ages were ending, what other power was coming into existence? Don't say it. Please. You can get in trouble for saying it. Especially in today's political climate. But I want you to hear me. Revelation 13 picks up where Daniel 7 left off. It continues the line of history that in the late 1700s, 
It picks up in that era and it says that there's going to come a time when the church is going to gain control again. And there's going to be a superpower that claims to be a Christian nation. It's going to have a government that is of the people, by the people, for the people. And it's going to call out for their permission to set up a government that looks just like what the government was in the dark ages. Now, I am not about to tell you that that's the United States of America. I would not be so bold. Are you hearing me? But I am sharing this with you tonight for this reason. If you ever see in your lifetime a superpower that claims to be a Christian nation, that is a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and you see Christians trying to get control of the state again and have their beliefs legislated, and you see people in power delegating to the people and asking for the people that they would surrender their constitution and set up a government like what existed in the dark ages, then what will you see in that moment but the prophecy of Revelation 13 fulfilled? I am not so foolish as to tell you tonight unequivocally, well, this is America. Why would I not say that? Because this is still yet in what time period? This is still future. Has it been fulfilled yet? Can we look back at prophecy and say, oh, that was that? But this is still future. I'm not saying it's definitely America, but could it be? And here, maybe. And the point is, if you ever see this happening, understand it may be those who are calling themselves Christians who are doing it. But it is not what God desires. It's speaking really like a what? Like a dragon. Are you hearing me? And we are setting ourselves up again. It says this will happen, though. It says that it was given to him. The people gave to him this lamb to give breath to the image so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast that they would be what? Does this sound like the dark ages? We see that history is going to be repeated. In Revelation 13, go down with me, verse 16, for the sake of time. He will cause all, small and great, rich and poor, free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one might buy or sell except the one who has the mark. Number one, I want you to notice, where is it placed? On the forehead or on the... What is that significant of? Have we ever seen that before in Scripture? Quote to me, Scripture. Turn with me. No, turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. Do you see it in the gray section? When God gave the commandments to Israel, He said, you shall bind them as a what? Sign on your... And they shall be as frontals on your... Interesting. Does this look familiar? It says in Deuteronomy 11, you shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your... And they shall be as frontals on your forehead. When those who remember Deuteronomy back in John's day saw this prophecy and saw that this beast would cause something to be written on their hand and their forehead, what would they have thought back to? The giving of God's what? Law. They all, this power is also going to give a set of religious laws. Do you see the parallel? 
And what's going to be the result? If you don't follow along, you won't be able to what? Buy or what? Will there be economic pressure? And the only people who be able to do this is the one who has the mark. Either the, here, notice this. The what? The name of the beast. Or the, now wild and crazy prophets have spent much time trying to decipher what this next sentence means. Let him who understands calculate the what? Number the beast, for it is the number of a, and his number is 666. I'm not going to settle it for you tonight. I'm sorry. I used to know what that was talking about. But the older I get and the more I see, hear me. What I would like you to focus on is this is the number of his name. Isn't that what it says? Either the name of his be- of the beast or the number of his name. Is that what it says here? So whatever the number is, whatever it indicates, it's the number of his, talk to me, his name which represents character. You see, here's going to come a power who says God's really like this. And if you don't follow along, there's going to be economic pressure. And even if you don't worship it, you will be, what did it say? You'll be killed. This is in contrast. Flip over to Revelation 14. There was no chapter break in this vision. John immediately says, Then I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. A Lamb-like beast that speaks like a dragon. This is the real deal now, right? This is Jesus Himself. And behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion and with Him 144,000. Not literal. Don't get wound up over that. This is a symbolic book. And it says, having, notice what it says, having His name and the name of His Father written on their what? Foreheads. Oh, this is the point I want you to get. You will either have the name of the beast written on your forehead or you will have the name of God written on your forehead. What does forehead indicate? Your thought, your pictures, how you see. Your picture of God will either be shaped by this beast or it will be shaped by Jesus. Did we see that? That in the Middle Ages, the church changed people's perception of what God was like. Did we see that in this series so far? What we're seeing is that in the end time, once again, there will be two types of Christians. Those who once again follow the church of the Middle Ages and those who follow the church that finds its roots in Jesus Christ. Some will have the name or the character of this beast in their foreheads as what they think God is like. And others will have the name of Jesus, his character, as what they think God is like. I don't know about you, but which party do you want to be a part of? They're both going to be called Christians. How do you make sure you're in the right one? What is your picture of God? That's how you know whether you're in the right camp or not. Are you hearing me? Which name is in your forehead? Which character is in your mind's eye? Do you see him as he really is? That means don't worry about what 666 means. Spend your time studying the life of Jesus so you can know what his name means. Are you hearing me tonight? 
If you've got his name on your forehead, the other can't be there. He continues on. And this is the last thing I want to bring up. This 144,000, these folks that see God for what he's really like, it says these are the ones who have not been defiled with women. I'm still in that paragraph. I've just skipped to the bottom. They have kept themselves chaste. We don't have time to go through Revelation and tell you what that means. But it says these are the ones, underline this, who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Was Jesus ever persecuted? Then who is he persecuted by? Those who claimed to be God's people, but who acted more like who? Do you remember in John 8? It's in your outline. You can read it later. Do you remember in John 8? Jesus said, they said, who's your father? We know who our father is. You talk about your father. Who is that? Jesus said, if you would have known who my father was, you'd believe in me. If you'd known my God, my father. They said, we know who our father is, Abraham. We have one father, God. Did they think that they were following God? Jesus said, you were of your father, the. Do you remember that? Did they think they were following God? Oh, but who were they really following? Notice what it says in John 16. Is that in here? Flip back over to the second page. There it is, middle of the page. John 16. Jesus prophesied, These things I've spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast from the synagogue. An hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Does this sound like Revelation 13? Where they think they're following God and they're killing people in God's name because they're not following along. Notice what it says. These things they will do. Why? How you see determines how you what? How you think determines how you what? And how you think and feel determines what you do. Why will they do these things? Because of what they, they don't know what God is really like. Are you seeing the principle tonight? How do you keep yourself from being a part of this in the end of time? How do you prevent yourself from being taken in? Take time now. To come to know for yourself what the character of your God truly is. And when you see Christians acting in out of harmony with what you know God's character is, then you be a Christian who stands for the right, though the heavens fall. Stand by the Lord of all the earth. Don't go along with the church when the church ceases to follow God. I wish I could say that would never happen. But in our history, have we seen it happen in the church before? And Revelation seems to indicate it's going to happen again. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Let's focus on that. When Jesus was being persecuted by those who claimed to worship God, claimed to be serving God, did they think they were doing God a service when they killed Jesus, when they crucified Jesus? Did they think that? Yes. And what did Jesus do? How did he respond? He opened not his mouth except to say one thing. 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I ask you, what was the result of that? Humanity inflicted Jesus with as much pain and hatred as his human nature could possibly endure. And what was the result of that? Not his death. The greatest revelation of the character of God ever given to this planet. Jesus proved that you cannot do enough to change my love for you. Beat me, scourge me, spit on me, swear at me, drive nails through my hands, whip my back, suspend me on a cross between heaven and earth and between two thieves, and I still will not let go of you. I still will not stop loving you. You cannot change what is in my heart for you. What a powerful revelation. Amen. Is that what we began to see in that moment? And I want you to notice there's going to be these people in the end who are also persecuted. Jesus said they persecute me, they'll persecute you too. Didn't he say that? They hated me, they'll hate you too. But notice, what was the purpose of it before? So that the character of God could be what? And there are going to be those in the end of time who counted a privilege to partake of the sufferings of Christ, persecuted by those who believe they're following God. When they persecute you, If you want to follow the Lamb, then your only response will be what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, there is going to, from that catalyst, there is going to be an environment on this planet where God's character is going to finally shine forth through His church like it never has since the days of Jesus Himself. And if it takes persecution for God's character to shine brightly, I don't enjoy persecution. Are you hearing me? But if it takes that, and if that's its purpose, so that the world can see what God's really like, well, He did it for me. Is He worth us going through it for Him? And I know there's two different views today. Some believe that Christians are going to be saved from this persecution, from this trial, this tribulation. you got pre-tribs and post-tribs and all kinds of tribs. Forget about that for a moment. Let me ask you, if the Christians in the end of time are saved from the tribulation that's coming upon this planet, hear me, it will be the first time in human history God has ever pulled His church out. It'll be the first time. Why would God do? We go back and read Peter. God has a plan for persecution when it takes place. Do you know what it is? Let me explain it to you. When someone pulls out in front of you in a car, anyone ever had that happen before? Someone cut you off? And you just wave at them with all your fingers. Got it? Your whole hands. You say, have a nice day. How much love have you shown in that moment? You've shown some. But all they did, all you had to do was hit your brakes and take it off cruise control. How much love have you really shown? You only suffered this much, so really you only showed this much love. Got it? But what if someone put you in prison unjustly, beat you unjustly, 
put you on death row unjustly. And you still forgave them and loved them at that moment. Would there be a greater amount of love shown? The ratio is the greater the amount of persecution, the greater the potential for love to be shown. Do you see that so far tonight? Paul understood this. It's interesting. When his name was Saul, he was standing beside Stephen one day. And Stephen, what was transpiring in Stephen's life at that moment? He was being stoned. That's right. And Saul was standing by holding the coats of the men that were stoning. Was he in earshot of Stephen? Yes. And as Stephen was dying under the weight of those stones, his dying words. Do you remember what Stephen's last words were? God, lay not this sin to their charge. Where had he learned that before? Did he follow, was he following the lamb wherever he went? He was following the lamb's example, was he not? And do you think that had an effect on Saul? It had to. Weeks later, Saul's on his way to Damascus. And the heavens open and a bright light shines forth. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am, what did he say? Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And if you were Saul, what would you have thought right there? I'm toast. I've been serving. I've been doing this. Thinking I was serving who? When all along I was against him. This pattern will be repeated. He had killed Christians. He had imprisoned Christians. He went blind for three days to illustrate for him how blind he had been. But on the third day, who shows up? A Christian. Those whom Saul had persecuted. Now put yourself in that Christian's sandals for a moment. Well, Saul's over here blind. Who? Who, God? Are you sure you're sending me? You know what happened to the last Christian that hung out around him? Are you sure you got the right guy, God? No, go heal him. And do you think that guy had to work through a little bit of issues with Saul before he could obey what God asked him to do? You think people are just perfect? But did he find forgiveness in his heart towards Saul first so that he could go and and, and be the channel through which God restored to, to Saul his sight? Do you think that would have happened? He shows up. And he says, Saul, in the name of Jesus Christ, receive your sight. What do you think Saul felt at that moment being rescued by those whom he had lived to, to hunt down and kill? Do you think he felt regret? Do you think he felt forgiven? Do you think this was an illustration of God turning the other cheek? This forgiveness was so powerful, it never left Paul. It changed his name even. He took on that same characteristic because one night we find Paul and Silas in a jail cell. Do you remember the story? They had been beaten. They were bruised. They were in prison. And you know what they were doing that night? They were singing, celebrating. I don't know whether it was Sabbath or not, but they were singing. And notice they were bleeding and in shackles, swollen and hurting. Why on earth were they singing? Why were they 
so happy. How were they singing? How do we know they weren't singing? I mean, they could have been. Once to every man and nation. Come on, Silas, sing with me. That's how it could have been, right? But I think, no, they were rejoicing in song. Why had they ever suffered like this before? This was the most they had ever suffered. And so had they ever been given this much potential to show God's love before? Do you remember the greater the amount of suffering, the greater the amount of love that can be shown? Do you think that's what they were rejoicing in? How do we know this? Because how does the story go? There was an earthquake. God said, I can trust them to show this jailer something. There was an earthquake. The, 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 the door swung open. And I don't know how he did it. But Paul, not only himself and Silas stayed, they convinced all the other prisoners to stay too. I don't know how that works. If it was me, you know what I would have done? Thanks for the get out of jail free card, God. I'm gone. But Saul stuck around and all the others did too. They were hiding in the shadows. And I can imagine Saul's back there going, shh, just wait. The jailer wakes up. He looks around. He sees all the doors open. And what does he think? They're gone. What's the penalty if they leave on his watch? So he pulls out his own sword thinking it's better to die at his own hands than at the hands of his superiors. He's about to run himself through and out of the shadows steps Paul. He says, no, my dear friend, wait. I, too, am a Roman by birth. I know what the penalty is if we have, if we should leave tonight. And even though you have beat us, even though you have bruised us, even though you have thrown us into jail unjustly, we are willing. I am willing to go back into that Roman jail cell if it means your life is preserved. And how did the jailer respond? With tears streaming down his cheeks. Good sirs. What must I do to be saved? Did the jailer encounter the character of God in the forgiveness of one he had persecuted? Did Paul experience the character of God in the forgiveness of one he had persecuted? And in the end of time, Will the world experience the character of God in the forgiveness of those who are unjustly being persecuted? Is that the way it happened for Jesus? Jesus said, they've done it to me. They'll do it to you as well. Now hear me. I don't know if that will happen in your lifetime. I don't know if any of this for sure, will happen in our lifetime. But as I look at the climate of what's happening in today's world, it looks to me as if we are on the verge of what has been prophesied. And I want to encourage you, when that day comes, when that day comes, on which side Will you choose to be? Will you stand by the Lord of all the earth? What will your picture of him be? When those two pictures 
the medieval God and Jesus is God. When those two pictures collide, what will be your decision on that day? Will it cost us something? Did it cost him something for us? How do we make sure we're on the right side? I've shared all this with you tonight for this moment. Take everything that I've shared with you and I want you to do me a favor. Forget about it. Just forget it. Keep it in the back of your mind if you have to. But instead, what I want you to do is make knowing the truth about God's character the paramount goal of your life. Because if that's your goal, then if and when these things transpire, you will be so familiar with what God is like that the the truth about Him alone will make sure you're where you need to be at that time. You don't need to worry about it. He doesn't tell you all these things that are going to happen so that you'll be afraid. He tells it to you so you will realize how important it is for you to come to know him today. Are you hearing me? That's our only safety. Come to know him now. How many would like to say to God tonight, Lord, I do. I want to come to know you. How many want to say that first? And how many would be willing tonight to say that if you ever see the events of what we've talked about this evening transpire, how many would like to say to God tonight, Lord, you gave your life for me. I give my life back to you to use in whatever way you see fit so that others may come in contact with you. How many would like to give him permission to do that in your life? Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we close tonight, Lord, we have looked at some grand themes in these first two nights on spiritual fulfillment. But Lord, we're beginning to sense what it's all about. The reason people have been content to be religious and yet not have fulfillment is because we have failed to see you as you truly are. Lord, we don't want to be like that. We give you full permission in our life. Lord, whatever it takes, show us the truth about you. Everything else is secondary. May we come to know you as you truly are, Lord. And Father, may that revelation awaken in us such appreciation, such gratitude toward you, That we will gladly give up anything to help the cause of proclaiming your character to the world. Father, give us the courage. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Let me ask you this. Do you think Paul struggled with spiritual fulfillment? It was real for him, wasn't it? Not saying he never went through down times. But do you think he struggled being a part of something? Was he part of something much bigger than himself?
Are you beginning to see that there's something much bigger than yourself going on in the world around us? Become a part of what God's doing and you'll never have greater spiritual fulfillment. Amen? All right, we'll see you tomorrow morning at what time? 10 o'clock. It's bright and early. It'll be the only time I do it to you. We're going to have four presentations tomorrow. In between the two, each two presentations, we'll still have our little refreshment break. But in the afternoon, we'll break up the both by a fellowship time. Well, there'll be a meal here, um, an edenic meal. Do you know what I mean by that? An edenic meal. Do you know what I mean by that? Remember the night we talked about health? Yeah, so it's going to be one of those meals and you'll enjoy it. It'll all be delicious. And so come and partake with us, fellowship with us, and uh, and we'll see you in the afternoon as well. But please be here bright and early at 10 o'clock. I promise you, you won't want to miss it. God bless you. Have a safe trip home.